Hello, and welcome to the Capital Compass podcast. We are the official podcast of the New York State Catholic Conference. I'm your host, Jillian. Today, in episode 12, I'll be talking with Edward Megman, Director of Public Policy and Director of Safe Environment at the Archdiocese of New York. We'll be chatting about the clergy sexual abuse crisis in the Catholic Church, how the Church has responded in terms of protection of children and vulnerable adults today, and how we move forward in the future. This discussion may be triggering for some survivors of abuse. Throughout the 2022 legislative session, we are giving you updates on what is happening in Albany. Without further ado, here is your Legislative Minute. Welcome to the Legislative Minute. I'm here with Dennis Paust, Executive Director of the New York State Catholic Conference. Today, recording the Legislative Minute, it is March 14th, 2022. Dennis, can you tell us what's been happening in Albany recently? Hi, Jillian. Yeah, so we are hot into budget season now in Albany. The budget is due April 1, so legislators are working overtime uh, and negotiations are beginning. The governor has put out her executive budget. That was in January, and now each house of the legislature this week has uh, introduced their one-house budget resolutions, they're called. It's sort of the answer to the or the response to the governor's proposal, which adds and subtracts from her from what she has suggested, and they try to reach agreement. Our main budget priority uh, on the education side I wanted to focus on this week is uh, Governor Hochul has increased the uh, Health Safety and Security Grant Program for non-public schools from 15 to $45 million, and for the first time has added uh, capital needs, uh, critical capital needs to that funding stream, very important to our Catholic schools. And she's also proposing to increase uh, STEM uh, instruction reimbursement from 40 to $55 million. Uh, and finally, uh, she did not include funding for a reporting of uh, childhood immunizations. Uh, it's a small amount, but it's uh, compared to some of the other items, but it's cut if we don't get it. So those are our three priorities, and we do have an alert right now on our Catholic Action Network at nyscatholic.org uh, where you could take action and ask your legislators to uh, approve those parts of the governor's budget. And that was your Legislative Minute. We'll be back after a brief message. Are you interested in staying up to date with New York State legislation pertinent to the Catholic Church? Do you want your Catholic voice to be heard? Sign up for the Catholic Action Network by going to our website at nyscatholic.org slash action dash center or texting CAN to 50457. Again, CAN, C-A-N, to 50457. We're back, and before I get to introductions, I want to send out a second disclaimer to listeners that this discussion may be triggering for some survivors of abuse. I'm here with Edward Meckman. He is the Director of Public Policy and Director of Safe Environment at the Archdiocese of New York. He graduated from Cardinal Spellman High School, Columbia College, which is part of Columbia University, Harvard Law School, and St. Joseph's Seminary Institute of Religious Studies. Since 1993, he has worked on public policy education and advocacy for the Archdiocese. And since 2005, he has also overseen the Child Protection Program. Before coming to the Archdiocese, he was a state and federal prosecutor in New York City. Welcome, Ed. Thanks very much. It's good to be here. So you are here to talk about protecting children. 
You know, now we are two decades into the clergy sexual abuse crisis in the Catholic Church. An entire generation of Catholics has grown up with this backdrop. You know, before we get into how the church has responded, as someone who has been in the trenches this whole time, can you possibly calculate the toll this crisis has taken and continues to take on survivors and their families, you know, on Catholics in the pews and on the clergy? Sure. Yeah, the uh, the problem of clerical sexual abuse really came to the public attention in a big way after the Boston uh, revelations in 2002. Uh, it, the problem obviously has been with us, unfortunately, for a long time, as we've learned over time. And uh, it's had a terrible effect on people. Uh, you know, every time a, a child is sexually abused, it, it, that person is victimized, but also the family is victimized, too, in a way. It changes the child's life, it changes the family's life, and, and sometimes can have uh, lifelong effects. Uh, psychologically and behaviorally and things like that. So it's important that that we don't uh, just look at statistics, for example. You know, there have been thousands of, of victims across the country documented, surely, you know, no question about it. Uh, every one of those victims is a, a constellation of other people who have uh, a kind of collateral damage. So there's a lot of the people among the faith community who have been hurt by this, not just the, the actual victim, uh, but by their family, their friends. And then the loss of confidence and the sense of betrayal, I think, that a lot of Catholics have felt. You know, we love our priests, and we've always trusted our priests. And to know that just a small number of them uh, acted in such a terrible way. It's really, we, a lot of people really have a sense of betrayal, and that, that's hurt the church, it's, uh, it's hurt the community, uh, and it's been very hard for us to live with. So you talk about, you know, the, betray the feeling of betrayal. So how do you think the church begins to rebuild, uh, you know, that moral authority that has been damaged? Well, I think the, the most important thing for the church to do is to be who we are. You know, we're the people of God. And we're believers in Jesus Christ. And we believe in redemption. We believe in forgiveness. We believe in uh, taking care of the least among us. So uh, if we can uh, uh, make sure that we focus on that, then we, I think, can do what's necessary within our own house to uh, address the, the problem. You know, we need to give justice and healing to the victims. And we need to do prevention work to make sure that this never happens again. So I think by, by visibly showing that we get it uh, and that we are committed to being who we are, uh, I think that's the way to rebuild trust. Um, it has definitely hurt us in the public square. A lot of people will not even listen to us on public policy issues now because they'll say, oh, well, what about the sex abuse scandal? Um, but again, I think if, if we, we show everybody that, yes, we had that problem, we are very aware of it. We are dealing with it. We are regretful about it. Uh, but we are still going to continue to do what we do, uh, and especially advocating for the least among us. Uh, then I think we build back that trust. Yep. We're part of a church that's, you know, one of the oldest uh, religions in the world. So, you know, you're going to have those scandals, and yeah. you got to— figure out ways to move on. Yeah, and also, you know, we're a human institution. You know, we're exactly. made of people, and people are not perfect. People do bad things. Um, and even if it's a small percentage, as it is, the number yeah. of priests who offended is very, very tiny, uh, it still has a huge effect, and it contradicts our identity as the people of God who are yep. supposed to be holy, right? That's yeah. what we're supposed to do. While there have been isolated stories of the mishandling of the sex abuse, 
Uh, the crisis really came into the forefront in 2002, as we know, with the Boston Globe spotlight investigation, ultimately leading to the U.S. bishop's passage of the Charter for Protection of Children and Young People. So can you tell us a little bit about what the charter is and what it means to, uh, in like the day-to-day life of a diocese, parish, or Catholic school? Like, you know, like what we're doing and what we've learned um, regarding safe environment for kids. Sure. Well, the the charter came about in 2002. Uh, the bishops had a crisis meeting in Dallas, uh, so that's why it's sometimes called the Dallas Charter. Uh, its technical title is the Charter for the Protection of Children and Young People, uh, which is quite a mouthful. Um, the charter is important in, in a lot of different ways. Uh, in this whole sex abuse crisis uh, problem, you can really – Uh, divide time into two categories. One is before the charter and the other is after the charter. And things have dramatically changed after the charter. Uh, it really reflects a just a fundamental paradigm shift on the part of the bishops and, and the, the people of God in how you deal with this situation. Before the charter, uh, it tended to be treated as a very individual thing. Uh, it was not seen as a systemic problem. Uh, it was dealt with usually on the quiet um, it was it was dealt with uh, with um, really probably way too much confidence in the ability of experts to advise us, particularly psychologists. Uh, many bishops put men back in ministry after psychologists told them, well, he's either cured or it's manageable. And now we know that was a catastrophic decision. Um, so the charter was the break, the breaking point. I think at that point, everybody realized, hey, wait a minute, what we were doing before was, was not working. So we need to do something completely different. So uh, the charter brought in uh, more transparency, first of all, uh, which is a, a big problem, you know, in general in any institution. But, the, you know, the church, we have a lot of rules about confidentiality and secrecy. Uh, so more transparency has been tremendously important. We have to issue reports. Uh, we have to be audited every year now on our child protection efforts. Uh, the audits are published. Uh, all of the numbers are published about what happened. So transparency has been really hugely important. We've all had to institute written policies that, are, that everybody can see about what we're doing and how we're doing it. We in the archdiocese, we were fortunate we had a policy before that that actually was pretty good. But a lot of dioceses, they, they didn't have a systematic policy, and the charter brought that in. You know, When you have a, a how-to and what-to-do list, it really, I think, affirms people that, all right, these people know what they're doing, and they're, yeah. So um, the other part of it is that uh, we then instituted prospective protection programs. Uh, that's the safe environment programs or child protection programs. Everybody has to be background checked. There's training that everybody has to go through about uh, codes of conduct and how to uh, report incidents, things like that. So that, that has just made a, a dramatic uh, difference. And it has a, a big difference on the, on the really local level at the parish level because everybody who works with minors now has to undergo training. They have to undergo a background check. Uh, they're being supervised by people who are aware of warning signs and codes of conduct are being uh, enforced, all of which is just crucial. You know, child sexual abuse is a crime of opportunity. So if you reduce the opportunities, you can prevent a lot of the problems. Exactly. Uh, this segues great into my next question because, you know, we've seen child sex abuse scandals in every sector, you know, public schools, sports, you know, uh, the Boy Scouts, things like that, as well as the, obviously in the church. 
So um, this is obviously not an excuse for the church's role or to minimize, you know, the horror of the clergy abuse crisis. But, you know, it does speak to a wider societal problem that requires, uh, you know, societal solutions, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. uh, Every organization that works with minors has a problem with this. Uh, And especially because in the old days, there weren't these policies and it wasn't on the radar screen that we had to avoid any opportunities. You know, the most sexual abuse actually happens in and around the home, which, of course, is the place with his most opportunities. So uh, I think what's happened a lot, uh, and it's, it's fortunate because it's concurrent with what we've been doing, there's so much more awareness on the part of parents and on the part of younger generation about not being alone with people, you know, watching out for what's being sent to them over the Internet, all that kind of thing. And... Um, these, I think, have helped to reduce the numbers. So the reports say that the numbers just in society in general of sexual abuse have gone down. Uh, certainly in the church, it's gone down to a very, very tiny number. Um, but I think this, this awareness across the board of we have to put in place policies and children themselves are so much more aware and parents are so much more aware uh, of the opportunities and how to get rid of them. Uh, and that's just had a huge impact. Yeah. So uh, oh, that's, our, that's our plan going forward is to yeah. continue to do this, to, to try to keep this horrible crime down to the absolute minimum. Yeah, I, I don't think, you know, this is kind of my perspective of this, but, um, you know, like when you were growing up, you know, you weren't necessarily taught the same things in terms of don't talk to strangers or because I remember uh, when I was a child, my mom always told me, like, if a man says he's injured and needs help getting into his car, you know, wants to show you his puppy, do not go, you know. Right. Yeah. It's such a generational difference. I mean, I went to school in the 60s and 70s and there was none of this. Uh, There was, of course, sexual abuse going on. We know that it wasn't talked about. No one was even aware of it. I mean, the things that we used to do when I was a a child, (laughs) (laughs) no parent would allow uh, that anymore. Uh, And that's good. That's that's good. The, the thing is that, uh, and people worry, you know, well, can we still deal with minors? Can we still do our ministry, even with all these rules? And the answer is, of course you can. The, the, these rules, even uh, in, in school or in, in the home life, they enable people to do this work with minors, and they enable minors to have fun and grow in a safe place. They don't ever have to worry about that. They can go to religious ed and learn about Jesus. They can go play basketball and not have to worry in the locker room, all that kind of thing. The, the rules help. Um, there was a lot of freedom that's, you know, that we had when we were minors, but that wasn't always good freedom, and that caused a lot of problems. So um, turning back to public policy for a minute, you know, the Catholic Conference has expressed concerns about a bill called the Clean Slate Act, uh, specifically regarding our ability to protect children. So can you tell us about that bill and, you know, what specific concerns— uh, you know, you have, or, or you know, perspective from somebody responsible for archdiocese, uh, archdiocesan safe environment program. Sure. Yeah, the Clean Slate Act is, is a bill that's in the state legislature. Um, it's similar to bills that have uh, been introduced and passed elsewhere. We have a bill in a uh, law in New York City, the Second Chance Act. Uh, they're really a, a, a an effort to institute a kind of restorative justice approach to criminal justice, uh, a way of trying to restore 
uh, uh, victims to their pre-victimization state, return offenders to a productive life in the community, and maybe try to uh, change our state of mind away from this very punitive, retributive approach to to crime and punishment and try to uh, be more healing, okay? The Clean Sight Act basically says that uh, after a certain elapse of time, a person's criminal record is sealed. And with very few exceptions, uh, nobody will be able to get access to that. And what that's designed to do is uh, address a real problem that offenders have. You know, you want guys to come out of jail or uh, come out of the court system and be able to be productive. And if you can't get a job because you had a criminal record, you can't be productive. And it really is a major problem for, for offenders. So, uh, again, the Clean Slate Bill automatically seals convictions after a certain amount of time. We're all in favor of retru- uh, restorative justice, yeah. and we want to give guys uh, a second chance. We want them to get jobs. We would love for people to come out of prison or wherever and become productive members exactly. of Exactly. We don't want the rates of recidivism to increase. A- absolutely. And the way you don't do recidivism is make people get them a job yeah. and get them a normal life, right, yeah. where they don't have to commit crimes. So uh, the problem, though, is this really restricts the kind of information that we can get as a church mm-hmm. as far as uh, what a person's background is, uh, because there are only a very few exceptions in the Clean, in the, uh, clean Slate Act. It's currently how it's written. Yeah, and so things, uh, a lot of crimes that have to directly do with uh, the welfare of minors, uh, uh, you know, homicides even, uh, assaults on children, dealing drugs in your schools, all these things that are clearly directly related to child protection, we won't be able to get access to those. So, you know, again, we don't want to deny people jobs just because they have a criminal record. We want to follow the law and make sure that we analyze each situation individually and how relevant is that prior offense to their work with children? That's mm-hmm. what the law is now, and we do that. Uh, this would even this would completely short circuit that. We couldn't even do that analysis, okay. and so that worries us very much. Um, the 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 worst thing I think about the bill is that even if we learned about something from another source, mm-hmm. not from a background check, yep. someone came forward and told us this person had killed their children ten yeah. years ago, we still couldn't do anything about it. It's illegal. It would be illegal to do it. Yep. So it really ties our hands. We want the bill, well, something like this to pass. Yeah. We just want more flexibility for child protection. So, yeah. So basically, you know, uh, I, again, I've talked to other guests about this. People look at some of these issues in terms of our stances in very black and white, but we are, you know, very pro this. We just want the right channels to make sure, our ch- you know, the children are safe. Yes, absolutely. And you have to balance these equities, right? You want the offenders to be restored, uh, but you also want to make sure we protect children. Which is why we're trying to work with legislators to kind of reword it to make sure that um, we work with them rather than against them or, you know, something like that. Yes. Yeah. We've, we've suggested language, uh, uh to, uh, fix our concerns in the bill. Mm-hmm. And of course we're never going to get, you know, no, there's no perfect solution for everybody, but hopefully something will be negotiated and it'll be satisfactory at least to everybody. Yep. So kind of rewinding a little bit, um, you know, as you say, you know, people have kind of lost faith in the church, especially because of the sexual abuse stuff. But, you know, I've talked uh, previously to other people about this that we're more than just the sex abuse scandal. And, you know, kind of we've put in the we've put these things in place. um, But, you know, we have to also be hopeful for the future. Right. You know, yeah, absolutely. I I, you know, I think a lot of people were disillusioned uh, by the sex abuse scandal. And uh, but I think looking forward, people 
they come to church and they see the church that loves them. You know, they don't see, people don't see the church that offended or the individuals who offended. And they also see a church that's deeply, deeply sorrowful for what happened. Uh, and, you know, we are trying to work with victims to uh, uh, try to restore them, uh, you know, give them some element of justice. And they see that we're doing everything we can to protect. So I think uh, uh, people still want, they want what the church has to offer. They want Jesus. And they want a sense of community with other people of the same faith. So I'm very hopeful, actually. I, I uh, deal a lot with young adults through the work that I, I do, uh, people your generation. Uh, I, I'm just amazed at how uh, alive the faith is among them. Uh, you know, they know that there were people who did bad things, but they also know that God loves them, and they know that their priests love them, uh, and they want the sacraments, and it's, so it's really tremendously hopeful for me. Yeah. Not, again, not that we're condoning any of the behavior previously, but it's also, it does happen in every, it, you know, as, as you said, we're humans. It's, you know, unfortunately things happen, but we are, you know, we've put things in place to try to right the wrongs. Yes. And, and the way things were handled in the past, uh, uh, really because of the structures and because of the transparency, it really, it really deters any kind of, you know, people are afraid of cover-ups or moving priests around, that kind of thing. It's actually really, really hard to do that anymore yeah. because of all the transparency and checks and balances that we've put into place. Exactly. Uh, so I just wanted to get that out to the listeners, you know. Um, so finally, just on a personal note, you began your legal career very differently than where you've ended up. You know, uh, as I said in your intro, you graduated from Harvard Law School. You were initially a federal prosecutor before coming to the church to work on public policy issues, especially, excuse me, especially related to life. And in recent years, um, to be Cardinal Dolan's, you know, point person on safe environment, you know, can you just reflect on, uh, how your personal career journey uh, has led you kind of here? Sure. Well, uh, you know, when you, when you graduate from law school, you want to be the best attorney you can be. Right? That's, that's what yep. drilled into you. And a lot of people, you know, you go into particular uh, jobs because you want to be the absolute best at that. So I wanted to be a prosecutor. I was always interested in fighting crime. Just one of those things. So I, I tried to be the best prosecutor I could be. Uh, I was very, uh, I think I was very aggressive, very effective, you know, classic uh, uh, prosecutor kind of model. Um, over time, though, I, I started to uh, I started to get a little disillusioned over what I was doing. Uh, I was doing organized crime investigations, uh, very difficult cases. You deal with very difficult people, and one of the things you have to do is you have to get people to cooperate with the government, and that's a very hard thing because you're basically using people. Uh, uh, to get other people. And I was starting to get a little disillusioned with that. It was too much power, I thought. Um, all for a good end. I mean, the people we were after were bad people, but I just wasn't comfortable with what I was becoming. Uh, you know, power can have a bad effect on our character. And I, I started to see that myself. So uh, my wife and I uh, just, we decided, uh, we went for, we, I quit my job, she quit her job. We went for a year uh, to be lay missionaries in West Virginia. Uh, just to take a break, really, and see, you know, what, what do I want to do coming back? And just by providence, uh, a position opened up in the archdiocese doing public policy. And I've always been, you know, deeply committed to the pro-life cause, and I love my church. And uh, this was a great opportunity. And I've stayed there for, what is it, 20, I don't know, 28 years, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. And uh, I love it. Um, because it, uh, it allows me to use my lawyer skills. I'm yep. still trying to be the, the best attorney I can be. 
but it allows me to do it for causes that I, I deeply believe in and that I really deeply believe are just and good for mm-hmm. society. And that's a much better way to go about your professional life. Yeah, God sets us on everybody on a certain path. Yes. And, uh, you know, you were called to serve to, you know, help the church. Yep. And I'm very happy to, as again, I said, I, I, I love the church. And uh, I love keeping the church pure and, and good, just as Jesus wants us to. And, uh, and passing on to others yep. the faith that we were, I was very lucky to be given this faith by my parents. Yep. So we want to be, enable parents to pass this along mm-hmm. to their kids, too. Thank you so much for coming on. Sure. Thank you. It was great. Thanks for listening to the Capital Compass podcast, and thank you so much to Edward Meckman for coming on the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll be coming out with a new episode every other week. If you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And to catch the latest from the conference, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at NYSCatholicConf and on Facebook at NYS Catholic Conference. Thanks again, and God bless.